Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, December 4th. Coming up, a trial that wraps up this week in a Missouri courtroom may determine the fate of the state's controversial voter ID law. At stake are requirements that some say are intentionally designed to suppress votes in the state's Democratic-leaning metro areas. But first, our weekly look at the top state government and politics news on both sides of the state line. One of the most expensive government-funded projects in our region is going to be more expensive still. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports on new estimates for extending the Kansas City streetcar north to the Berkeley Riverfront. The cost of the project is now $61 million, a 75% increase from its initial costs. Officials with the streetcar authority say high construction costs and additions to the project, like extending the streetcar so it's closer to the KC Current Soccer Stadium, drove up the price tag. They call the increases unfortunate but expected given the industry. Federal funding will cover 60% of the total project costs, and development agency Port KC increased its contributions to the project. Construction will begin next year. Kansas recently received $200,000 in federal funds for a rural development project that could help grocery stores transition to a more sustainable business model to survive. Kaylin Moore of the Kansas News Service reports. Some counties in Kansas have more cattle than people, but nowhere to buy beef. That's why the U.S. Department of Agriculture has awarded a grant to Kansas State University for the development of rural cooperatives to sustain businesses. Commonly used in agriculture, co-ops are mutually owned businesses through which communities voluntarily work together to meet their economic needs. Christy Davis, the state director of rural development, hopes this model can be used for rural grocery stores. Rural Kansans have had to become very creative if they want to survive. And this is one way to do that is pair up with neighboring communities and form, you know, a cooperative so that you're working together. According to the USDA, one in six Kansans live in a food desert, but co-ops could increase access to fresh food. And in Missouri, Friday marked one of the General Assembly's great festival days of the year, the beginning of pre-filing season. Yes, that's when legislators get their first chance to submit the legislation that will be before the House and Senate when they convene in January. Many of the hundreds of bills won't even get a hearing, much less become law. But sometimes the process reveals what's on lawmakers' minds as they look to the year ahead. Among the filings Friday, several efforts to change election procedures, including a bill by Blue Springs Republican Dan Stacey that would require party registration for months before a primary election in order to vote in it. There's Blair's Law, Democratic Kansas City Representative Mark Sharp's bill to criminalize the dangerous practice of shooting a gun into the air. That'll be back after Governor Mike Parson vetoed it last year. And then there's House Bill 1624, offered by first-term Republican Jamie Gregg of Ozark. That would designate cashew chicken, maybe you know it as Springfield chicken, as Missouri's official state dish. Well, that'll all be up for discussion when the legislative session convenes January 3rd. We'll be right back. You listen to Kansas City Today every day because we're your local, reliable news source. You take us seriously. But now it's time to have some fun. 
Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Back in 2022, the Republican-controlled Missouri General Assembly achieved a longtime goal. It passed a law making a government-issued photo ID card, like a driver's license or passport, the only acceptable way to cast a regular ballot on Election Day. Almost immediately, opponents went to court, calling the law unconstitutional. Many observers think the more stringent ID requirements will discourage people, even those who are registered and legally allowed to vote, from doing so. Though an earlier lawsuit was dismissed, a second attempt has made it to trial, and over the past few weeks, a state judge in Jefferson City has been hearing evidence that could determine the law's fate and have a real impact on 2024 elections. That trial is expected to wrap up this week. Rudy Keller's been following it for the Missouri Independent. I asked him what exactly the law in question changed about Missouri election rules. Well, it changed what what you can show at the polls and be sure your vote is counted. You have to have a government issue, state government or federal government issued ID. It has to have your picture. It has to have your birth date and it has to have an expiration date. If it's expired since the last general election. So if it expired at the beginning of this year, you can still use it in next year's election. But Other than that, you have to vote a provisional ballot, then come back to show your ID or hope that your signature, however it was recorded at the polls, matches the one on file at the election authority. Okay, so, Rudy, that seems fairly straightforward. The plaintiffs are three individual voters and two organizations, the NAACP and the League of Women Voters. Uh, What's their argument for why the law is unconstitutional? The arguments are that Missouri has done fine with elections for generations without this requirement, and that for certain people, it's almost impossible to get the proper identification um, in order to vote. Now, the plaintiffs have cited evidence, as they've made their case, to support their claim that this law really did have an impact in the 2022 elections, right? Yeah, that they presented evidence on the numbers of people who were who ended up casting a, a provisional ballot and the numbers that weren't counted. Yeah, the argument is that people uh, seem less likely to show up at the polls at all if they think they're going to be relegated to a provisional ballot. Right, and the some of the evidence is that people who actually do have the proper identification think they don't, and so therefore they don't vote. Now, the defendants in this case, uh, the defendant is the Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, as the state's top election official. What's the defense of the law? Well, that identification is required in many transactions um, that people perform in the marketplace today, um, and that this is a, a reasonable expectation that you should be able to prove with certainty who you are at the polls. The previous identification that was allowed included things like a Um, bank statement or a utility bill with your name on it and your current address. Obviously, there's a lot of talk here about uh, security, about voter fraud prevention. Everyone, I would think, would agree that there should be measures to make sure only the, the registered voter is the one voting. 
So how big a problem is election fraud? How many cases have there been of votes cast by people at polling places who weren't supposed to be voting there? Um, Who used these forms of ID that this law deems unacceptable to fraudulently vote? Well, the defense has been unable to identify a single case of voter impersonation when this would be if I if I went to the polls and said I was Brian Ellison after stealing your utility bill out of your mailbox, for example. Mm -hmm. So but there has not been one that they've been able to identify. They've come up with a few cases of voter fraud, like someone who received their mother's absentee ballot in the mail. The mother was had had recently deceased. They voted the absentee ballot and then went to the polls and voted their own. But that wouldn't have been prevented by this law. That would not have been prevented by this law. And that's the argument being made by the plaintiffs, that there isn't a single identifiable case that this law would solve. And therefore, the burden is beyond what is necessary to protect elections. Okay, so if there this law is uh, solving a problem that does not apparently exist, we might be led to ask about the political implications of the law. Uh, it is hard not to notice that the places where voting seems to have been reduced in 2022 by this new law, Jackson County, St. Louis, Boone County, as you said, Columbia, those are the state's three main, uh, well, really the state's only democratic strongholds. Yes, and the... Um... This has been a push that has been a Republican priority since 2006. This is our third time through the courts on this in various forms. And it has always been opposed by Democrats in the legislature very strongly. The people who are least likely to have the correct ID today just happen to live in places that vote heavily democratic the the majority of them um do it's i mean this is a problem in rural missouri as well you know if you've had a couple of divorces and you're a woman in camden county and um you don't have all the paperwork from an earlier divorce where your name has changed you may have a lot of difficulty getting a, an id that lets you vote but there's a lot more voters in jackson county and st louis than there are in camden county that is true and so the numbers tell on this issue so the trial will pick up again this week. What's left and uh, and what do we expect in terms of a decision? Well, there's an expert witness from the, for the defense, a University of Missouri economist who studies um, election issues. And then there will be closing arguments and they'll turn it over to the judge. There's no, no, there's no timeline where the judge has to deliver a, a decision. And these are the types of cases where a judge will take several weeks after closing evidence and he'll give an, there'll be an opportunity for additional filings. And so we may get a decision before the legislature begins um, next year in January, but more likely to come after the new year. And this won't be the last word. There will be appeals whichever way it goes. But if uh Cole County District Judge John Beatham does strike down this 2022 law, that will affect uh, what happens in the 2024 election, potentially with significant uh, impact. Yeah, we the next scheduled election that most people will, will be on their radar will be in April of 2024. Whether or not this is resolved by then, it is unknown, but 
I would expect that it, if it gets into the court of courts of appeals or the Missouri Supreme Court, we'll have a decision, maybe not by the August primaries, but certainly by the November 24 election. That was Rudy Keller. He covers the state budget and legislature for the Missouri Independent, which you can find at MissouriIndependent.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For all the latest Kansas City news, political and otherwise, rely on Kansas City's NPR station online at kcur.org. We appreciate your positive ratings or reviews with your podcast source if you get the chance. And thanks for listening. Have a great week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hollywood writers are obsessed with the concept of an asteroid heading towards Earth and destroying civilization. But is this something we really should be worried about? I'm Kate the Chemist, and on my podcast, Seeking a Scientist, we meet the mastermind behind a real-life mission to divert the path of an asteroid. Subscribe to Seeking a Scientist, made possible by the Starris Institute.